Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, Koshi here. Before we get into this episode of The Call, I've got a favor to ask. The bigger the Ausbiz audience, the more we can invest in great content and keep providing quality investment ideas to you for free. If you could just take a minute of your time to leave a review of the call in the Apple podcast app, it'll help keep our tribe growing. And of course, don't forget to catch up with all the best interviews each day at ausbiz.com.au. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the call. Good afternoon and welcome to The Call, 10 stocks picked by you, two expert guests over one hour. I'm Nadine Blaney, just sitting in for David Kosh this afternoon on Thursday, the 9th of September. So it is really great to be here with you. It's also great to welcome our expert guests to the program. We've got Carl Capulinga from Think Markets and Claude Walker from A Rich Life. So this is going to be a great conversation. We've got a couple of different perspectives coming to this market. Uh, Carl, I might start with you just to get a bit of a pulse check. How are you feeling? How are you sitting post-reporting season and as we head toward the end of the year now, it's safe to say. Yeah, good afternoon, Nadine. Um, my, my pulse is okay. I'm not sure if the market's pulse is uh, okay today. It's looking a, a bit dour at the moment. But no, look, overall, I'm pretty happy with the way earnings season rolled out. Having said that, with you know such such great performances, generally from companies we've got this you know this dark cloud hanging over us with what's happening in uh, new south wales and and victoria and how much of an impact that's going to have on this obviously first quarter of this new financial year um look some companies um or domestically oriented companies obviously a bigger impact companies who are earning their money overseas where things seem to be on the up and up less impact so yeah look it's it's uh in the bank is what what's in the bank is fantastic, but you know markets always look forward, and and there's a little, there's a little bit of a I guess a cloud over that. So um, fingers crossed, uh, we see a better reaction. Market today is looking, as I said, a, a little bit softer, and that's a little bit concerning as well. I want to see how we close today. Right, um, Claude. Look, it's a stock pickers market, but it's always a stock picking market for you, isn't it? Oh yeah, of course. Um, I don't always pay too much attention to what the overall index is doing, but. Uh, you know, we've had a strong run, so I guess it's normal to uh, to expect some sort of pullback. We've had pretty record years. I've never seen so many, like, you know, benchmarks in the 20%, 30% kind of range. So it's been hard to keep up. If you've kept up, you've done well. But I'd also be prepared for some kind of drawdown, as, as is normal. Yeah. All right. So let's get to the stock of the day today. Perhaps I'm a day behind, but we have had a lot of brokers coming out and weighing in on Macquarie. Shares of the group touched a record peak after it said that first half profit may not fall as much as some players in the market had feared. So the group said the performance of the first half was slightly down over the same time last year, again pointing to COVID, but it still sees stronger than anticipated numbers across its commodities and global markets divisions and raft of price target revisions to the upside today. So the question being, gentlemen, would you be buying Macquarie Group, Carl? I'll start with you. 
when you know it's hit record highs, but you know, you know the story that's still potentially yet to come. Yeah, look, I, I love to buy stocks at record highs. It's uh, my favorite time to buy them. Uh, bottom left, top right is generally my motto as a trend follower, and that's just a, a style issue. So my belief is that there's a reason why a stock is bottom left, top right. It's uh, not about what's happened. It's about what's about to happen. So markets uh, make their bets either become part of demand or supply based upon their expectations. So expectations from Macquarie Bank are very high. Hence, the share price is, is also up there. Uh, I tell you what, though, I mean, the chart was uh, as, as pretty a picture as you could get um, before yesterday's run up. Today's um, move on a fundamental basis takes some of the um, some of the gloss out of it. We've got a fair value target, just checking my notes here, at 188.63, which still allows for about 5% upside. So there's, there's a little bit in there. Um, prior to today, broker's mean average target was 178.51. So I'd like to think we had it right. The brokers are only just catching up. Um, overall, the, the news um, was, was a little bit mixed. I mean, they said the short term might be a little bit softer, uh, but the medium term outlook is still very, very strong and the markets have uh, keyed off that second part of it. Uh, the question is whether I would buy it now. And look, it, it, again, it's, 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 you've got to find the right stock for the right person. So I think you know, if you're a longer term self-managed super fund uh, player who, who wants a, sort of a more of a core holding, uh, not going to lose too much sleep uh, and have, you know, a, at least a market return, then I think it's fine to continue to buy here. Um, otherwise, as I said, if you, you know, if you're looking for, for alpha, um, you're probably not going to find it now that there's a, a slimmer margin uh, mm -hmm. to our fair value target, at least than yesterday. Got it. Now, Claude, Macquarie is really positioning itself to be able to to put it bluntly, make money from the global decarbonization push that is ongoing. So does that make Macquarie a financial institution that is more interesting to you? Uh, not, not really, although they probably will make money and that's been their strategy for a few years. But I think that they're fairly good at just figuring out where the money flows are going to be and trying to position themselves there. And, you know, that's, that's what they're doing with um, this sort of slightly greenwashy vibe that they're putting out at the moment it's also just a business decision there's going to be government there's going to be investment there has to be so that's smart they'll probably continue to do well um, from a valuation uh, framework I guess Macquarie group doesn't look too crazy on about 22 times profit with that profit being flat as long as you sort of take the view over the long term that this kind of financial class will continue to take more of the value that society creates over time, which has been the trend throughout my lifetime, certainly. So, uh, yeah, I think it's sort of reasonable. You could ride the ups and downs. Having said that, if you look at the very long-term chart, it's very clear from Macquarie Group that it's sort of leveraged to the overall business cycle and the um, business sentiment. So big drawdowns in, you know, the tech crash, you had big drawdowns in 2009, and then you can see the most recent big drawdown then was when the, when the pandemic hit. So, you know, generally speaking, I'd say that given it's a quality operation, this is one that you could sort of, you know, wince and buy the dip in times of fear and panic. I'm not so sure that it'll be a great win now. Depends when the next sort of cyclical turn is. You can see in 20, 20, 2007, you can't see on that chart, but 2007, you know, it took until 2015 to reach its highs that it had in 2007. So if you buy it at the wrong time, you could definitely have some pretty flat results for a decade. So personally, it's not the time for me, but also I'm not massively into massive companies like this anyway. No, but that is not a buy, so it is not going into the Osbiz portfolio.
Let's crack on with it then, shall we, to get to the companies that our viewers have written in about. This one's for Georgia. It's BWX. So this is a company that has a lot of skincare products, but it's also been very acquisitive. So it is moving into the direct-to-consumer space, so an online offering. It's bought Flora and Fauna. It's bought uh, GoTo recently. It's bought Nourished Life. Some of our viewers might be familiar with some of those e-commerce names. Um, I'll start with you, Claude. What do you make of BWX? Because it has had a pretty strong share price performance this year so far. Yeah, it's, and it's a tough one to uh, get a measure on. I think that the, probably the most useful chart for this one is at least a five-year one because what it is here is, you know, it's it's a company that sell, sells skincare stuff basically and, and other similar kind of things. But the real key thing to remember is this is a company that um, has an acquisition-led growth strategy. So, um, you know, basically we've got this massive information dump. Actually, this is the second year in a row that they're raising capital at the same time as their results. And this time they're buying, um, you know, uh, another an online uh, business that sells skincare stuff. So um, that's interesting. And I guess that's part of why um, brokers love it, because what happens is if a business has to continually raise capital, um, to grow and acquire things to grow that means they do capital raisings and that always leads to brokers getting a cut getting money so the those kind of companies are great for brokers which is why you see that even though that this is a bit of a non-performing like it's down you can see it's down over the last five years it's, it's a non-performing sort of average-ish company not particularly large either but it has eight brokers covering it and you know they generally tend to say nice things about it they think it's undervalued of course because they they want part of that business right so um what is it overall it's just your roll-up strategy there's so many risks involved um you can see look with this kind of thing i always say go and look at what the incentives are you can see the incentives are grow and patch short-term incentives this is for management um total shareholder return okay so that aligns us that's long-term and also eps growth that's long-term so what the eps growth and NPAT incentives do is they incentivize the company to go out and use its shares that, it, that might be trading on 40 times its normalized profits to buy something on 20 times profits. That will get the EPS up. Questionable like how much long-term value you create that way. You do create some, but not mm -hmm. always that much. So for that reason, it's just, I couldn't be more bored of this kind of company. Like there's always going to be ups and downs. You could trade it, um, but like long-term, I think you're better off trying to focus on high quality businesses. Got it. Carl, do you see things differently either in the chart or in the fundamentals? Um, because some of the aforementioned brokers, at least one has pointed out, that it does still have some balance sheet capacity. It could still make further acquisitions. Yeah, look, it, look, it can, absolutely. I think it's it's quite a, a well-run company. I think there's, there's quite a lot of quality uh, within the brains. Uh, they look like, you know, uh, this financial year, FY22, could be a step year for them. I mean, they've got a number of major distribution partners that have either just come on or about to come on. Um, particularly in the US. So there could be a, a big push there. Uh, Claude's right, the brokers do love it. I mean, we're looking at an average uh, growth rate over the next sort of three to five years of around about 22%. Uh, these are broker forecast numbers. Um, you know, they've got an average uh, price tag at around about $5.50, which you know provides sort of just over 14% worth of upside. Look, we, we, I don't think it's, um, look, it's trading at 38 times last year's earnings, which I don't think is particularly expensive if it can achieve those 
um, those growth rates. Okay, so that PE is going to come down. It's not about what you're paying on last year's earnings. It's about what you're paying on next year's earnings and the year after and the year after, because that's Typically, if you're going to buy it now, that's what you're going to, going to actually receive. On that basis, look, I think it's fairly reasonably valued here, but I don't think it's necessarily cheap. So we've got a fair value target around about 497, which is pretty much where it is right now. Um, the chart was looking pretty good up until a little while ago. You can see exactly uh, on the graphic on screen, uh, around about June there, we had that little peak, it's dipped, and then it tried to get back up there in mid-August and it's failed. Uh, and then it's broken that little uh, baseline. So you can see the little dashed line there at 486. Uh, and it's just coincidence that numbers there, it just sort of coincides with those those two little troughs. And the fact we're below that with those lower peaks means we've moved into that um, medium term price action downtrend. So it's, it's speaking to me of of building supply in the market and demand that's not sufficient to keep prices up. So that's look, that's my, my biggest concern. Not enough in the valuation there either to call it a buy. It's a hold if you've got it, but uh, based upon the quality, I think, and the growth, uh, but I can't buy it here. Got it. All right, let's get on to the next company, Strike Energy for Dale. Wondering if the team, actually said awesome team, but anyhow, wondering <laughs> if the team could please have a look at Strike Energy. They are talking about setting up a urea plant, which is always in short supply during the grain season. Carl, Strike Energy, do you know it? What are the charts telling you? Yeah, I do know it. Um, I actually tipped this on Osby's probably about a year ago uh, in the low 20s. It got to 40. I haven't honestly haven't looked at it for about six months. It's come back pretty hard on the chart. That concerns me first up. Um, yeah, look, uh, look, it, it had or it still looks still has a lot of things going, but there have uh, there hasn't been a lot of progress in in some of these um, key items like this um, uh, urea uh, plant as well, the fertilizer operation there, Project Haber. Uh, still very very early stages. So um, whilst you know they have locked in some some sales for eventually when uh, they get to go into production, um, we're not expecting anything uh, probably until you know FY 23, 24 and beyond. Apart from that, it is you know a, a, a gas um, exploration. Uh, and production hopeful in the uh, Perth Basin or the North Perth Basin over here in WA. And uh, they've got some um, some pretty good discoveries there. Gas prices are, are certainly elevated over here. So tick, tick. Uh, but we're probably not going to be, again, in, into production until sort of FY23 and therefore earnings uh, are still a fair ways off. Uh, un until then, and I'm kind of getting to the point here now, Dean. Until then, it's really exploration dependent. So a lot of the big picture stuff is still a ways off very early stages. Um, and the, the, the stuff that's going to move their share price now is um, is dependent on drilling. Lots of drilling coming up between now and April, and that may be a catalyst. Uh, but as far as the chart's concerned, the uh, the short-term downtrend there is, is just uh, keeping me away from this one. So look, if you had it, um, maybe there's enough in there to hang, hang on to it. If you don't have it, I'm not a buyer. Yeah, that's not an overwhelming endorsement there. And Claude, I can't imagine that an explorer in the energy space uh, would interest you in any way, shape, or form? Well, I'm going to surprise you slightly, slightly <laughs> and call out the fact that these guys are doing geothermal um, exploration as well, which is a, a very unproven uh, renewable energy technology in Australia. So I'd say that's super high risk, but it does interest me. I would <laughs> love it if they succeeded in commercializing a geothermal thing. I don't think they will. But yeah. um, that'd be great. So that I find interesting. But I think just building entirely on what Unidine and also Carl just said, to me, and I think to anyone except people that are experts in the field of geology, um, I think it's complete speculation uh, buying this stock at the moment. And, you know, it's basically just an explorer spending money on exploration has 75 
million cash. So I think you're valuing the sort of the geological potential or the the mining assets at um, about 500 million. So you're just taking bets on whether that's actually worth more or less than that. And you need a lot of specialized knowledge to do that, which unfortunately I don't have, but it's absolutely in the realm of speculating for most investors. Got it. That's Strike Energy for you, Dale. Take what you will from that. Remember, this is just information only. It's not advice. You need to take into account your own personal circumstances, of course, and seek advice if you need it. A webjet for James. He says, would this one fit into the reopening trade? I mean, if I had a dollar for every time, it used to be transitory. Now it's reopening. Uh, I'd be rich because there will come a time, and in New South Wales it appears that that time could come relatively soon, that we will see people moving around more. But, Claude, I'll start with you. Is Webjet one of the companies that stands to benefit? Well, there's so much to unpack here. Yes is the short answer. Yes, it stands to benefit. But then the second question that we really have to ask ourselves as investors is, is that already priced in? So the important thing, and I'm sorry for the people that know this and they probably know it well, but just the important thing to always mention in, in terms of say Webjet is that even though the share price is lower than where it was prior to the pandemic, it's um, actual market capitalization is actually higher now, right? And the reason for that is because in the depths of the panic in 2020, they issued a bunch of shares pretty much you know, at under $2 from memory, right? and a lot of shares as well. So it is as if the share price has already completely rebounded. However, what has not rebounded is the company's profits. Now, they recently put up an update saying that it's operating cash flow positive. That's not free cash flow. That's operating cash flow positive for the first half. And WebBeds, which is the hotel booking thing that has more international exposure, is profitable. So that's good in the sense that maybe it means that they won't need to raise more capital to survive the pandemic. But um, this thing is already priced like, you know, as if there's not a pandemic, right? And if its profits went back to where it was in 2019, which was um, just before the pandemic, then it would be a 38 times pre-pandemic profit. So it needs to emerge from this pandemic in one or two years, like stronger than ever, and not just a little bit stronger than ever, but significantly stronger than ever um, to really look cheap at today's prices. So... For me, I just think that the absolute, it's its going to be a battleground stock. It's already heavily shorted because, you know, people can see what I just said as well. So it's going to, and then it's also like people simplistically buy because they're like reopening trades. So it's a battleground stock. It's going to be volatile. I'm not, I can't call it, but I'm telling you that it, um, it, it is a reopening trade, but it is very much the one that is extremely obvious that the market is definitely bidding up on reopening already. Yeah, got it. Carl, do you have anything to add? I mean, how do you view Webjet? Yeah, it's all about expectations and then it's all about delivering on those expectations. But I, I like Webjet. I think there's a lot to like about the business. Um, you know, at the end of the day, if we talk about travel stocks, you know, they don't have any aeroplanes. They don't have uh, any, um, you know, you know, stewardesses or, or you know hostesses or whatever or, or, or lounges to, to to keep going through a crisis. It's, it's an online travel business that really just clips the ticket on the way through. So you know, great margins um, and and they're 
they're running it pretty lean and mean. Uh, Claude mentioned quite correctly that they did raise a lot of capital, but that capital is currently sitting on the balance sheet. It's, it's you know, they've got $430 million in cash uh, sitting there. They are burning through a little bit at the moment, but uh, I would expect probably uh, by the end of this year that that, that should end. I mean, they, they are predicting that uh, that that cash burn um, should be eliminated uh, probably uh, by by the, sec the second half of FY22. So um, I've got it trading on about 28 times FY23 earnings, no earnings potentially in FY22, but there's going to be some pretty good growth, I think, as we bounce back. Um, I think there was a good business there anyway before COVID, and I think that's the important thing when you're looking at these turnaround plays. So um, I think there'll be a good business there after COVID. We have upgraded our price target on this one. It was 651 uh, prior to their update. It's up to 712 now, so that gives us about 17% with the upside. I do note that it is heavily shorted, and I like like that as well. I like the fact that there are lots of shorts out there um, who maybe don't see the value in this one that I do. I'm happy to buy it here on the basis of where I think this one's going and on the chart, which you can see is just starting to tick up at the far right hand side. And hey, if it breaks those uh, recent highs there, you can see again where that little dash line is. Um, there's a fair bit to go uh, before the next res resistance level kicks in. Right. That's Webjet. Differing opinions there. Let's get to Fisher & Paykel. It's number four on our list today. This is for Damien. Uh, look, it did put out a trading update lately, and it talked about total revenue in the first months of FY22 to be down. In fact, sales in North America and Europe declining significantly. Um, when you look at Fisher & Paykel, uh, Carl, do you look at this as a long-term holding, a bit of a defensive play in a portfolio? Yeah, look, it could be. And, and, and if, if, if uh, the COVID situation gets worse, look, let's hope it's, it's, it's getting better. But, you know, it, it something you know, takes a turn for the worst there, there's another variant or whatever, um, then this company stands to benefit from that. And it's one of those, you know, few COVID winners out there. So uh, primarily through selling, um, you know, respirators and the like uh, through hospitals, mainly in the USA. Uh, but they are going to cycle some pretty big numbers over the next FYs if that doesn't occur. And therefore, you know, growth is, is looking pretty flat for the next few years. And that's um, probably, you know, impacting a little bit on the on the share price at the moment. We're looking pretty pretty flat also um, uh, just towards the end of the end of the the, the chart there. So, look, but otherwise, look, it's a very high quality business. I think there's there's plenty to like about it. I, I, the only thing I don't like about it is is the price that you're paying. You're looking at 53 times FY22 earnings, which is pretty rich. And without the growth there to, to bring that down, uh, it's not really one for me. Uh, so I think, you know, we're, we're pretty close to fair value at the moment. I've got 31.66, which is um, actually a little bit below the current price. So um, look, hold it if you've got it on, on the quality basis. But if you don't have it, I'm not a buyer. Can you get excited about Fisher and Paykel, FPH, Claude Walker? Uh, yeah, I can. I can always get excited over studying a good quality business, uh, one that's been a compounder over many years, and that's exactly what this one is. It's a good quality business in a defensive industry. If you'd bought it ten years ago, you know you're sitting on gains of like six x your money, and you've been invested in the defensive industry the whole time, so you've not been yoloing on some like exploration speculation, um, <laughs> oil and gas company. So um, this is the way I like to invest. So of course I'm interested. In, I love this kind of company, and this is a high quality company. And the reason it's so high quality is because what it does is it sells, um, you know, various in particular like respiratory uh, devices that, that can keep people alive on um, COVID actually it would be like step before someone goes on a ventilator and then 
they have uh, consumable products associated with this sort of installed base of respiratory devices, such as like the nasal cannulas that would go into your nose to develop to deliver high flow oxygen. So what we've seen in the last in the since the pandemic is a massive explosion in the number of these devices, the hardware sales they call it that they sold, um, as everyone scrambled to get as much possible. Um, of you know these kind of equipments that can keep people alive as you have these massive spikes in COVID. And clearly that is not going to be sustainable because once they've got these machines, they don't have to keep buying them forever. They're equipped for the peak. In fact, you know maybe there's going to be a lot floating around. One would hope there are a lot floating around in the secondhand market in a few years, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't hold my breath on that. Mm. Um, the company gets to sell consumables related to the usage of those machines over time. So if we have... Um, elevated usage of these um, high-flow oxygen machines. For years to come, the fact that Fisher & Paykel has massively expanded their installed base, their machines are everywhere, and also the fact that we're going to have ongoing COVID in the world, there are going to be variants, there are still going to be people hospitalised by it, means that the consumable sales will be elevated for years. So they do have good profit growth, but you know, Carl covered how it's already priced for a lot of profit growth. At the moment, we're buying it priced for more growth based on an earnings multiple that is already benefited from like, you know, a hugely favorable business conditions. So for me, I would not be buying at this point. It's just too expensive. If you're a long-term buy and hold style investor, there's no reason to sell either. It's going to take some years to see um, what it's actually really worth now in a normal post-pandemic pandemic year, but it's definitely going to be worth more than it was before the pandemic. I'll tell you that much. So it doesn't it doesn't seem particularly crazy to me how it is priced either right now. Okay. Is that a buy? No, it's not a, it's not a buy, but it's like it's it's respecting the quality of the company like Carl was and also just saying I, I wouldn't want to sell it just because it's highly priced. It's a hold then. All right, let's get on to the next company, Money Me. Oh, sorry, Money 3. Apologies. MNY. This is for Carly. Claude, I'll start with you on this one. It recently reported, as most Australian companies have, and uh, look, it put out a pretty strong report. Revenues were up, increase in the loan book, increase in EBITDA, increase in net profit, increase in return, or the return on equity sitting at about 13.4%, which was an increase. Uh, what do you make of the company? Yeah, so um, this is an interesting little small cap stock that I've um, followed for years. Uh, what it originally did was payday lending and now it's sort of pivoted more into just pure like car lending or that's more of its focus anyway. So basically, um, as you can imagine, lending uh, money to people so they can buy a secondhand car is um, not necessarily like the safest kind of lending, uh, but it can be profitable as long as everyone's paying you back. And what you saw um, with, you know, the last year was basically a high need for these kind of loans, but also a high ability for people to pay them back um, due to various gov government stimulus things that, you know, helping people out and particularly last year, you know, keeping people afloat in tough times. So these guys also, you know, they have been improving and developing their business over time, which is what's driven into some like that massive profit growth. I think it was like 74% profit increase that they um, said, you know, basically looking good, but the pricing now has priced a lot of that growth in already, or the, the, the share price has followed that EPS growth. So now it's on about a 2.8% dividend yield, which is kind of something that's important when you're invested in these like lending companies, um, just to make sure that, you know, the, the cash is there and that they can pay, pay you back. The other thing that's advantaging Money3 is that they've got, they've driven down their cost of funding uh, quite considerably, which just obviously falls straight mm -hmm. to their bottom line then. I think, I think it's an interesting one, but 
it's too much of a bet on you know the continued strong economic situation for my liking and so it would get hit hard if there was like a major problem coming up like a recession or something like that which obviously there is a risk of so carl? i don't like it but i think it's a good yep. company okay good company wouldn't buy it carl how about you <laughs> yeah, well, look, I, I agree with with Claude. Actually, I mean, I think it's a very, very good company. Um, it, yeah, look, it, it, it's just about what happens next, and who knows what's happens next. Claude's right. If there's a recession, then this one's going to going to really struggle because, yeah, we're talking about unsecured personal loans. Uh, we're talking about um, you know vehicle financing and often for secondhand vehicles. So um, potentially with leverage to, you know, lower socioeconomic uh, groups. Uh, but, you know, the, the, of course, right, the, the, those groups have been uh, paying uh, paying back those loans and, and increasingly so. Um, so that's, that's you know, very encouraging as well. Look, I don't think it's... Um, all that expensive it's tracking about 15 times this year's earnings um i've taken out sort of the bump in growth that it's got out of uh, covid and sort of budgeting for for what they're doing before covid which is sort of high single digits and i, and I still get a pretty reasonable valuation uh here of uh, 376 which is pretty close to 10 percent upside i think the chart looks very very strong i think that's the other uh, encouraging factor here so it's not just what i think about the stock i think the market likes this one as well and i think the market's still seeing some upside it is pulling back and that might work in your favor so look i'm definitely a holder if you've got it if you don't have it um, we're getting pretty close to a technical level here. And I, I reckon watch out for that sort of 330 to 340 level. Um, if it pulls back into that zone and then we start to see some white candles come in, that is the buy that, you know, buy the dippers, the long-term uh, buyers that see that value uh, coming back in. So I think that's when you'd buy it. But for now, it's just a hold. Okay. We have arrived at the halfway mark and I am very pleased to say we're running on time today. Let's get to the stock of the day. It's Macquarie Group. Look, it is a buy here for Carl uh, on the chart. And if you're a longer term holder, so if anybody's watching, running an SMSF could be a core holding. It's not a buy for Claude Walker. It's very leveraged to the business cycle, to the economic cycle. So you could buy. And if there's a period of slower economic growth, you could be holding for a while to to really make your money. Now, let's get on to the companies nominated by you. BWX, it's a hold for Carl. The charts are showing that the demand is not sufficient to continue pushing that price up. Claude is just bored by these acquisitive companies, these Pac-Man type models where they continue to acquire to grow. That's an avoid for him. Strike Energy is also an avoid for Claude. He did get me saying that geothermal will be interesting if and when it ever happens. But the problem is it's so speculative right now for Claude. For Carl, he says it's a hold if you've got it. It's very exploration dependent and it's in a bit of a downtrend. Now, Carl likes Webjet. It's a buy for him. He liked the business pre-pandemic. He believes he's going to like it post-pandemic. It's got the potential for good growth. Price target that he's got is $7.12. Claude, though, questions whether or not the pandemic recovery, the so-called you know, lockdown uh, narrative is already priced in. What he does know is he says it's going to be called a battleground stock. All right, Fisher & Paykel, it is a quality business. These are the types of stories that Claude really likes over the long term, but it's a hold for him. Uh, Carl, um, Claude, Carl can't say anything really negative about the company, except for maybe it's a bit expensive right now. So I don't think he's buying either. Money 3 
is a hold for Carl. You just heard him talk about it, so listen out for that 3.30, 3.40, and what happens in terms of white candles next. That's the technical level. It's a hold for Claude. Look, it is uh, got some, some improving metrics, but is the growth priced in? Pretty good business, though overall. Look, I hope I didn't confuse the Carl and the Claude through any of that, but I think I got it. All right, let's just review what's going on with the portfolio, our fantasy portfolio. Let's call it that here at AusBiz, thanks to our partner, NabTrade. Um, so some of the stocks that we've added in lately, uh, well, first let's get to return, shall we? Over the past week, up by about uh, four-tenths of a percent, one month, more than three percent full year to date up by five and a half percent. But of course, we've been tracking this portfolio since the 1st of July 2020, and it's up around 42 and a half percent since then. And both of the gentlemen you're listening to now have had a hand in that. Some of the companies that we've added lately, Cluey, PWR Holdings, Resimac Group, Deterra Royalties, and PointsBet. Stocks removed, Rio Tinto, Rays, Energy One, and Appen. You can look at that portfolio. Just go to ausbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Back to the companies that have been nominated by you. Thank you for sending in these ideas as well. Um, oftentimes, they actually you know, spark some further ideas for our guests. Let's see if uh, it will work out this time for you, David. Acro Formwork and Construction. ACF. So David has said, you know, it's got a number of contract wins, looks to be getting its foot in the door in the mining space, currently at about 5% yield. He says it looks to be growing with no signs of slowing. Carl, is that the whole story? Or again, is this one of these companies that is very leveraged to the cycle? It's very cyclical. What do you think? Yes, I was about to use that exact word. It is a cyclical stock. Uh, but I think we're at the right part of the cycle, right? You know, stage of the cycle for, for this sort of stock. Hey, where are we going to be in five years? I don't know. But I think, you know, we, we, it, this one's hitting its straps at the right time. And, um, you know, tick, 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 and all those things you mentioned. I mean, it looks really, really cheap here. It's trading on uh, 10 year, uh, ten times this year's earnings, about seven and a half times next year's earnings. It's got a great dividend yield, uh, earnings growth uh, in spades, and probably going to continue at least for the next few years. And I, I just don't get it. I mean, I, I, I run um, each stock I, I do on the call, I run through 13 different fundamental analysis metrics, and then I compare that against the all odds. Uh, on, a, on a total, um, across all those setting metrics, this one rated at 95%, which puts in the top 5% of all ordinary stocks. So it is very highly rated on my fundamental um, filters. And I want to buy it. I've got a, I've got a valuation of 54 cents. Um, there was only one other broker I could see out there. They had a valuation of 56. So that confirmed that I'm not going crazy because when I look at the chart, the chart looks awful and I cannot um, connect the dots on this one. So I don't get why this one looks so crazy cheap um, on the fundamentals and such high quality as well. And yet the chart looks uh, as bad as it does. So what that tells me is it's something that I need to keep a very, very close eye on. Uh, and then when the chart starts to match those fundamentals, I could well have a buy. But for now, look, I think you, you, if you've got it, definitely hold it on, on the basis of its quality. Um, but I need that momentum, Nadine. Without that no momentum, I'm not a buy because it means the market hasn't caught up to my thinking yet. Yeah, you need that signal. Now, if you look at the fundamentals, Claude, what do you think? I mean, the company is guiding to underlying earnings growth of more than 20%, net profit growth of more than 40% in FY22. To Carl's point, we've got a lot of infrastructure spending happening. We've got a lot of building happening. So is this the right time, the right place for a CRF? 
Um, look, it may well be. Uh, I think we talked a little bit about uh, being leveraged to the cycle. But the other thing to remember when you're looking at, uh, say, peer ratio and some of the fundamentals is that these guys are a reasonably small company that does have debt as well. So I think they've got uh, at least 15, a bit more than $15 million in debt versus, say, free cash flow of about $3 million. So that sort of just adds a little bit of spice when you've got a cyclical industry with debt. Like, obviously, if revenue drops off, then free cash flow and profit can drop off immediately, and then that can immediately lead it to breach covenants and stuff like that. So that's one reason these things sometimes uh, look a bit cheap. Having said that, I guess the question is, is it is it too cheap? Um, and I think one thing to think about is that the improved result, they really called out their industrial services business as I think having like 100% revenue growth or more. Um, and that division secured, uh, it's a smaller division and it also secured um, at least four point, like millions of dollars worth of maintenance shutdown contracts. So it's possible that actually it's benefiting from like lockdowns and stuff like that, um, which again should it should still make money right coming going forward for the next year. So I think if we just only look one year out and don't worry about the longer term too much, then I think there's actually a really solid case that you know just one year on from today, they improve their results, they grow a little bit at least. It's cheap. The market gets a little bit more confident as the track record extends because it's a relatively recent listing, just a couple of years ago. Um, and then it does re-rate again. Again, this looks like a totally reasonable value re-rate play to me where you could get 20% or 50% gain um, just for holding for a year um, as the company becomes more convinced and trusting of it. But if you still sit back there and remember actually still, oh, this is actually a pretty leveraged business, I don't really trust it. As long as you sort of go in and, and out, then that, that can work. And I kind of like that idea. Um, I don't... I, I don't want to give something a buy when I haven't really done, you know, done all my due diligence and all the people involved and everything like that. So I can't give it a buy, but I, I love the suggestion. And this absolutely exactly as you perhaps you foreshadowed, Nadine, I don't know how you knew, but this is definitely one that I appreciate the suggestion and I, and I put it on my watch list to have a look at myself. I aim to please, Claude. <laughs> we all do. All right, let's get to the next company that's on the list. APE, Eagers Automotive. Again, Carl, I'll start with you. Like, is this just the right time and the right place for this company? Uh, just doing a bit of reading. I mean, when you look at the supply chain shortages that we continue to talk about that are running through the market, the demand that we're seeing in particular in terms of, of automotive and you could talk semiconductors, you know, throw the whole sort of basket at Eagers Automotive. And it, and it appears as if, you know, some of these these forces that are at play right now are just stand to benefit the company going forward. Yeah, look, I mean, it's just, just fallen into the right place at the right time with the right business, hasn't it? And it's, it's a bit of a theme uh, through today's list, isn't yeah. there, of these, uh, you know, COVID beneficiaries. Uh, and, you know, this has been one of them and it's done very well. I mean, look, outside of um, like the, the big boost it got from COVID, let's face it, uh, new car sales were pretty awful before that. I think we had, you know, five or six years, consecutive years of, of declines. Uh, look, they are really streamlining the business uh, and, you know, a massive, massive cost out program uh, that they're in the middle of at the moment. So, uh, you know, margins are on the improve, uh, partly because of that. I should say mainly because of that, but also because of the fact that if you walk into a, um, a dealership at the moment, 
uh, you're, you're paying top dollar. You're not asking for discounts or, or the, um, the floor mats to get thrown in. You're taking what you can get when you can get it. Uh, because as you say, supply chain shortages have meant that a number of manufacturers uh, simply aren't sending us cars at the moment. So uh, the question is, when that is, is that going to back out? Obviously, we're having supersized profits at the moment. I almost uh, liken this in my, well, in fact, I did my notes, I liken this to kind of the iron ore sector. I know it's a bit out there, but it's that kind of thematic where they are. It's their it's their bull market at the moment, and, and where do you go from here? So supersized profits, and then we're going to cycle. Um, you know, it's 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 going to cycle unfavourably from there in terms of its growth estimates. When we compare it to say the iron ore sector, I'll just continue with this analogy just very very quickly. You know, we're looking at sort of single digit, mid single digit PEs and twelve um, percent dividend yields. Yes, earnings are going to come off, but they're kind of looking attractive anyway. I look at this one and I think, well, the PE is sort of mid-teens and the dividend yield's about 3.5% and earnings are probably going to come off. And it just doesn't have that attractiveness and that buffer. Having said that, there's probably a little bit more upside here. I've got a fair value target of, <laughs> of $17.73, mm-hmm. so about 8%. The chart is supportive, I think, of hanging on if you've got it, but I can't see the value and the you know that exponential upside continuing from here here i should say you know not this year but next year and the year after so it's a hold at best for me hold at best for carl Caprolinga. how about you claude walker at rich life yeah well i want to build on what carl says because he does he does some great fundamental analysis in that comment there but then he just stops and says oh and he obviously loves the chart and he likes the momentum so he can't go against that but i'll stop before the we look at the chart and just say look at the eps chart the long-term earnings per share chart it's it sort of peaked in 2016 and then was down all the years after that and yeah it's obviously getting some great it's like had a strong half or whatever and so it's getting some straight great boost now but this too will most likely pass right this too will pass and it's going to be back to how it was before which is like you know probably flat to down eps growth not looking that good um bumpy business and so that's fine. As Carl said, if you're paying like 10 times earnings, you're probably going to do real well and getting a 5% dividend yield to wait. But it's 2.8% dividend yield and 18 times earnings makes zero sense for a long-term investor to me. As a With my long-term investor hat on, I'd be like, definitely going to sell this and redeploy my capital into some sort of secular growth at a reasonable price kind of thing any day over the sort of some cyclical business trading off record profits for like the short term. Yeah, got it. All right. So that is a no-go for Claude. Catapult for Seoul. Just wondering your thoughts on the group. I've heard varying opinions out there. Is its non-profitability a deal breaker? I'll start with you specifically on that question, Claude. If a company is not making money, does it mean it's uninvestable? No. uh, So generally speaking, the answer to that question is no. And also in in Catapult's specific um, case the answer is no the reason that i personally don't own catapult <clears throat> is not because it it makes a loss it's um basically just because it doesn't it has not historically run its business at cash flow break even and it what it loves to do more than anything else and has done so many times over the years is raise more capital which they are, have a have a gain done recently um at a at a share price of a dollar 90 so they're we have to think of different things when you're investing, but I think Kyle definitely alluded to it earlier. You know, ultimately the share price is a function of the supply and the demand of shares, how many willing sellers, how many willing buyers. Now, the nature of Catapult's business with 
I guess, like recurring revenue from this technology that um, athletes wear to track them around. And, and you have systems that track athletes and measure all their vitals and, and help sports teams know, you know, who needs a rest, who could get a risk of injury, all sorts of things. These guys are really do well in that. And it's a sexy story of growth. So they do generate many buyers of shares over the years. But on the other side of the ledger, they also just constantly issuing shares. They never actually decide to stop um, spending money on growth. And as a result, that's why you see a three-year share price like that. The five years even worth this. This was like three dollars forty or something higher than that a few years ago. They, yeah, it's just it's too much. They need to actually in this particular case, they do need to stop the cash burn and like just grow at break even and make a profit. So. I think that the questioner sort of knew what my answer would be there in their own mind, but I just want to stress it's not that I would never invest in a loss-making mm-hmm. company. I do. It's just that Catapult itself has a checkered history of always needing to raise more and more capital. That keeps the share price down. Yeah, Carl, uh, we've talked about Catapult Group before, I'm sure, because it's a sort of story that can capture the imagination. It makes a bit of sense, mm-hmm. uh, but to Claude's point, um, you know, still looking that... Uh, it's not really stated its ROI clearly or, or really making a lot of progress on that front. Uh, perfect explanation, Nadine. I don't really need to say a whole lot more than that. Actually, you've, you've summed it up. You know, it's, it's one that captures the imagination, got this really neat technology that you can see uh, huge applications for because every weekend we support our, our, our teams, right? So, of course, it connects and, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Um, and look, I'll... I'll Pull Claude up on a point here. I've got them as cash flow positive for the last two years, um, so that they're they're getting there. Uh, and that's I think you know when we talk about uh, buying businesses that don't make profits yet, that's when I like to get them when they are just sneaking into that cash flow positive because then they can start to fund uh, their own growth and have to rely on raising capital less. So that's that look that's a tick. Um, that to be fair to the business, they have taken a big hit from COVID because let's face it, you know uh, sporting codes around the globe have been negatively impacted. So. I'll give them a little bit of the benefit of the doubt there. Having said that, I think there's a lot of hype built into this one, and it got built in when tech stocks went nuts last year. I've got it trading on about 200 times FY24 earnings. So, you know, we've got to get out two more years of all the risks and all the uncertainty to get to 200 times earnings. I cannot see the value in this one, and I don't think the market can either, because look at the chart. Uh, yeah, look, that's, uh, you know, it's flat, flat. It's, it's where, it, where it is now. Um, at the end of that chart is where it was at the start. And if you zoom out, it doesn't look any better. So, uh, I, I, look, I, I don't think, you know, I've said, hold it if you've got it on many of these. Uh, I'm almost a sell on this one, I think. Um, definitely not a buy. Got it. Thank you. Let's get to Veeam. I have spoken with the CEO a couple of times in, in various capacities. Uh, Veeam, V-E-E, is a ticker code. This is for Craig. It's basically stabilizers that are manufactured um, in fact, I think some of them are manufactured in Perth there, Carl, for yep. um, ferries, but also high-end yachts. Uh, do you know Veeam Group? Have you looked at it in any detail? Uh, I've looked at it in the last 24 hours. Uh, oh, when Claudia sent me the, the notes for, for this one. I, I, look, I honestly hadn't heard nice of this one Nice to know you before. do your research, yeah. <laughs> I, I definitely have done the research on this one uh, since then. But uh, look, I, you mentioned earlier on that uh, often guests uh, come on the show and we find stocks 
uh, through this process. And this is certainly one that I'm going to look very closely at and and, and write some research up for clients over here at Think Markets as well um, over the next few days and, and maybe even put it to them as a buy recommendation next week. Uh, I, I do I do like the stock, not just because it's uh, Perth-based, Nadine, but it's a great you know technology uh, play as well. And they do have a really, really good product that is just starting to get that traction and that recognition out there in, in the industry. So they have been, you know, sort of anointed as the preferred supplier for a number of those uh, big uh, luxury yacht manufacturers as well. But there are broader applications, um, not just in sort of luxury yachts, but you know, really any any boat that sails on the sea. So the concept is we've got this uh, gyroscope that sits inside the boat that effectively counterbalances the, the movement of the waves and as the boat is moving to give you a smoother mm-hmm. ride. So depending on the circumstances, we, you know, we're, we're halving that rock and roll. And anybody who's a boating person would know the benefit potentially of that or if you, you get motion sickness uh, you certainly want to be on a a veem gyroscope equipped boat than not uh, the business looks like it's just starting to to, to get to that point now um, where where it's again uh, that step change in, in earnings as um, they, they get the, the the product out there Ma- management's very very bullish for this year and I, look I'm going to back their enthusiasm um, I think it's, you know, they're trading at uh, 35 times FY21 earnings, but given the growth we can see in this business, which I'm thinking is kind of about 30% for the next three financial years, that's going to come down very, very quickly. Um, I've got a fair value target of $2.08, which gives us about 50% upside from here. Um, there is a bit of execution risk out there because, you know, COVID is a bit of an issue in terms of luxury yachts and the like. Um, but I, look, I think you, you do want to add it to your portfolio. I'm a buy. Uh, we mentioned finding the right stock for the right person. It's not one of those cornerstone self-managed mm-hmm. super fund um, portfolio holdings, of course. It's not a, you know, a big bank. Um, but certainly it, it requires a, a small allocation, but it does need to be allocated. So All right. There's a buy for Veeam. Interestingly, there's a bit of news out on the company today. So it's looking to raise $5 million to fund research uh, and course. development <laughs> activities. Uh, management is selling down $10 million worth of shares, which I know you don't usually like necessarily. Oh, I didn't know that. Claude. No, I didn't know any of that. Of course right. Well, this is, <laughs> this is new. That's okay. If you did your research yep. 12 hours ago, you wouldn't have seen this. Yep. So, uh, But the sell down by the family, which includes the managing director and the non-exec chair, and I'm just reading this to give credit where credit is due in Street Talk and the AFR, they're saying that it's being done to increase liquidity in the stock because this is very much in the small end of the market clearly so claude i don't know if you have that information at hand but does it change or influence your view about veeam now uh, yeah it does so what i actually had it had at hand that i noticed earlier this morning was the trading halt so that um i knew that there was, a, there was something going on a capital raise they said um you've just given me the details there or at least according to street court so that's great uh look yes yeah, so one of the comments i was going to make is that first of all um just on the operational side of things uh these guys are forecasting that they're basically saying there's a huge market opportunity and they're getting a strong level of inquiries for their stabilizers and because this is sort of like a, a very a physical industrial business there's a lot of um operating leverage so if they manage to just do more volume across the ca- across the same factory setup that they've got that can shoot profits up um quite fast so it's actually arguable that the little um, estimates that Carl shared of I think 30% growth for the next couple of years, that's actually not that wouldn't that's not that unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Um, if you see um, the operating leverage come through, it does not require revenue growth at that level to get the profit growth at that um, amount. So it's definitely understandable to pay over 30 times for this. And 
now tying into your question about the capital raising and the sell down and stuff is what I'm thinking. And I was going to comment anyway, is this is now a um, hundred and something, $140 million market cap, right? So it's just passed now um, after several years of executing as a public company, which I've been watching quite well mm -hmm. doing what it's basically said it could do. It's now big enough for more small cap funds and stuff to look in. And that's probably why they've been seeing the opportunity to, for the founders to sell a bunch of shares is because now it's big enough for uh, small cap fund managers to take a look at it and and buy shares. And they're obviously trying to position before that app or operating leverage kicks in. If the company then does deliver on that, you can see it starts to look cheaper now. Um, you could see its share price go up further. Its market cap starts to get interesting to more and more people. Um, so, yeah, basically this could be the start of a multi-year journey, but at the same time, um, it's it's still a small cap. It's still going to be under 200 million for a while. Um, so yeah, it's still high high risk business, but definitely investment worthy. I'm not going to call it a buy because I I just ha I'm not 100% comfortable with I understand the market dynamics there. But I think that it is a, an interesting idea, and that's been on my watch list for many years. I've actually owned it once in the past, and I didn't have the metal to hold on. Mm. But it's done well since then. It seems to be a real one well run company it's definitely in my investable universe of small caps definitely one to watch i quite like it and, and i wouldn't be surprised if it does well over the next few years um as it gains more market attention yeah. and also sees that operating leverage come through and i was just going to say you know you referenced covid and the potential slowdown but what we know through this pandemic is it's making the rich richer and they're the ones is. that are buying exactly. this right. technology um all right so that that's a really interesting one I, i'm glad we had that discussion so craig thanks and uh, it was quite the day for it um and you know we will we will revisit this one at a later date carl once we see how this all washes yeah. out and uh how your your more due diligence goes in the next week or so helios is the last one on the list this is for john look helios benefited from the pandemic uh, the pandemic looks like it's going to be rolling on a lot longer than we had thought. So again, stands to benefit. Credit Suisse, I thought, made a good point as well, uh, saying that FY23 estimates are not factoring in the full upside that will still come from international travel testing. So, Claude, putting all that on the table, Helios, buy, hold or sell? Uh, well, it's a hard one to say. Pro probably for me, it's a sell, right? Because... I actually am invested in uh, one of their competitors in the pathology space in Australia, which is Australian Clin Clinical Labs. Yeah. And that's based on the entire, like they're doing travel testing for COVID. That's based on this, this testing for COVID being so important. If that's your thesis, well, for me, my thesis is I much prefer Australian Clinical Labs because it's specifically exposed to the pathology part of the business. Helios has other businesses as well. So... Um, having said that, they're all in healthcare. They're all super re relevant. It's a it's, the, it's a defensive kind of business. Trading on thirty, like a high multiple, to me, it's a sell to to rotate into something cheaper. But it's still um, a decent business. Um, I'm not trying to say that this is a terrible business in any way, but for me, it's just too expensive. Got it, Carl. Do you feel any differently about Helios HLS for John? Uh, no, I don't feel much different from Claude, actually. I think it's a very high-quality business. I think it's very defensive, and that's a tick if you've got it again, if you're that sort of longer-term self-managed super fund holder. Look, I think it's one of those ones you, you, you want to have in your portfolio. Um, I don't think it's particularly cheap, though. I think we're at about fair value. I've got fair value at 517, so we're, we're pretty much there. Um, the chart is a little bit concerning. I think the market's sort of starting to 
come to terms with the fact that uh, the big bump it's had through all of that testing, I think, is in the system. And if anything, you know, testing rates, look, let's face it, are going to be lower, hopefully, after we get over this bump in Sydney and Victoria going forward. And whilst they'll, there's, there's always still going to be testing there, it's uh, there's not enough growth in the rest of the business, I think, to justify uh, further growth from here. So the chart says just just you know hang about it's not a, it's not a screaming buy the valuation is pretty full um, so I definitely can't be a buyer here. Um, just very quickly on the Veeam, because, you know, it, what I like is when there's a potentially a bit of bad news in the system. So, you know, founders selling down and, and then seeing what the chart does. So it was a great chart before that, a 10 out of 10 chart before that. If we see the price hold up, then that's your signal to buy, I think, for sure. All right. I knew you were going to want to add something into Veeam. I should yeah, have just <laughs> trusted my instinct on that one, Carl. <laughs> Hey guys, that was fun. You got along really well. I uh, had some great conversations and I know I'll be listening back to a lot of what you said myself. So uh, Claude Walker from A Rich Life, thank you as always. Carl Kapalinga, Think Markets. We look forward to seeing you both again. Thanks, Eddie. Thanks, it was fun. Okay, let's just really quickly, I know you're not interested in what I have to say, but run you through. Uh, look, Acro Formwork and Construction, ACF, it is on the watch list for both of my guests. Not quite a buy yet but it's a watch and wait for both of them. And so that's a pretty good state to be in, I reckon. Eagers Automotive, APE. Uh, look, hang on if you're in it, says Carl, but it's a no for Claude. Catapult, it's a sell for both of these guys. Claude says it needs to stop the cash burn. And uh, yeah, Carl just can't see value in that one. Veeam, that's where the conversation got really interesting. It is, I think I'm gonna, I'm gonna hold off on saying it's a buy for Carl, because now he wants to see what washes out. But again, both of these guys are looking at this one very closely. And so next time we talk about it with them, they'll have their views fully formed, no doubt. Helios, it's just not a screaming buy. You just heard them talking about it. Um, look, Carl, uh, Claude, excuse me, has his favorite in the space, which is ACL. Uh, it's been great to be here with you through this lunch hour here in Sydney. If you would like us to cover a company for you, just flick us an email at thecallosbiz.com.au. You can tweet to us at TV, And don't forget, you can always look at that portfolio, the Calls Fantasy portfolio. Just go to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio.